The Guru. Find out more at bafta.org forward slash guru. May 2016, and a group of filmmakers from across the UK have gathered together for Guru Live. This is the third of three days BAFTA have hosted talks and discussions, and it all culminates in this final session. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and today on The Guru, we're going to share with you something rather special. Recorded in front of a live audience in Piccadilly, a team of improvisers are going to make up a movie on the spot. The characters, the setting, the plot, no script, no rehearsal. Just some very talented actors thinking on their feet. Well, I'm in the auditorium. I've got my seat right in the middle. Um, The audience is filing in. I think everyone's quite excited and there's like a bit of a sense of trepidation because with improv you literally don't know where it's going to go um your host is cariad lloyd and she's going to be joined by paul foxcroft pippa evans rachel paris joseph morpurgo and on the piano is ishani perrin panagam but before we get started cariad takes us through a history of improvisation here's cariad hi hello everybody hi hi are you having a nice day yeah. Good, that's very good. Improvisation at the moment in England is having a sort of a very fashionable moment. Uh, I've been doing it for 10 years, so I can tell you that <laughs> it wasn't always fashionable. And uh, it's very exciting for us at the moment that people actually want to come and see it. Some of you may be familiar with uh, the show Whose Lines Anyway? Anyone familiar with that? Yeah. That's most people's like gateway drug of improvisation. That's known as short form improvisation. Short form. If you ever go and see the comedy store players, Wednesdays and Sundays, guys, um, <laughs> the comedy store, they do short form improvisation. So it's, that's games, traditional games, uh, which you'll know from who's lying. Like, you know, they have to guess who they're being at a party or they have to use these props. Nothing wrong with short form at all. It's just a very specific type of improvisation, which is mainly about entertaining an audience. It's very short, it's very quick, uh, and it's not really um, storytelling. Long form improvisation uh, has been around nearly as long as short form and is becoming much more fashionable now. Uh, long form improvisation is, uh, if you've ever heard of shows like Showstopper or Ostentatious, uh, which some of us are in those shows, it's a long story. So from beginning to end, we tell an hour-long story in in the show Ostentatious. Uh, We don't stop and ask the audience things all the time. Uh, There's not an end point where it's like, oh, that's the end of that game, now we're doing this. We're trying to live story, right? Live tell a story in the same way that you might sit down at your computer and write a story and not not stop and not draft it. That's what we're doing. Um, And I think long form, if you're not familiar with it, is actually much more useful for screenwriting purposes than than short form, although short form is super fun and super great. But in terms of writing uh, screenplays, long form can be really useful uh, for screenwriters. Whether that's as you hire a bunch of improvisers, we are available, um, to workshop your script, or if you just uh, take the tenets of long-form improvisation of just accepting every idea and working with mistakes to write a script. Because I think sometimes improv is seen as over here, and writing is seen as over here. It's very separate. You do this on your own, maybe with one other person at the most. In England, we don't really have collaborative writing as much as they do in America. Whereas in America, especially in the comedy scene, you know, they will get a bunch of improvisers, 20 people to come and sit around a room and try and work stuff out. It's much more, you know, the shows that we know and love, like The American Office, Parks and Recreation, are written by many people. Whereas our comedy shows tend to be written by one or two people. And I think often that's a shame. There's a lot we can learn from each other. So one of the rules of improvisation, um, there are rules. I know, and we rehearse as well. The other thing that freaks everybody about about improvisers. One of the main rules of improvisation is the rule of yes and. Okay, this is the basic thing. If you learn nothing else from today other than the words yes and and, great, (laughs) great, that will help your writing. The rule of yes and is very simple. Whatever statement someone makes to you in an improvisation, you have to yes and it. So you can't just yes it, you can't just go, "Mm, I agree. You have to build on what they've said. For example, if someone says, welcome to my shop, you say, yes, and can I have some bread? That simple two statements means we have established we're in a shop, I work in the shop, this person's buying bread, they don't work there, this instantly we've established something. It would then be the shopkeeper's job to say, yes, you can, and it's three pounds 50. I mean, this isn't the most scintillating improv scene. (laughs) But what I'm trying to show you is it's very easy to block dialogue. 
we call it, in improv, we call it blocking. So for example, if I said, welcome to the shop, and someone said, it's not a shop, you're riding a dolphin in the sea. We call that a block, because suddenly these two characters can't go anywhere. And with improvisation, we don't have a script, we don't have set or props or costume most of the time. So we have to work together to build a story. Now, with improvisation, live stage improvisation, obviously that, that's really an interesting, it works for us, we have to use that, otherwise we literally can't make stories. But I think in terms of screenwriting, it also becomes an interesting thing to think about of, are your characters yes-anding each other? Are your characters working together to build a scene? Which is one thing I want to look at today when we start doing some stuff. So the yes-and thing is, is hugely important to improvisation. It, it's the foundation of everything. We can also, you can yes but something, so you can yes it but sort of negotiate around it. And it's just trying to be aware of what characters are doing. Are they yes anding, <laughs> yes butting, or blocking? And we are always looking to work together collaboratively uh, when we are live writing on stage. And the great thing about yes anding is that it allows you to move away from being perfect, which I think is something that writing can learn from improvisation. When we write, often we get very stuck on writing, and I, you know, I'm a writer as well, and I know you sit at that computer and you think, that idea is crap, and oh, I can't go any further. If we just literally yes and everything that the characters are saying, you go forward. You cannot not go forward if you yes and. So that's again what I want to look at today, of the ability to just move a script forward, especially if you're at a point with a script maybe halfway through or three quarters way through and nobody is behaving the way you want them to behave, just trying to get people to start yes-anding to see what worlds can open. Now, with improvisation, if you go and see it, you'll see things go wrong all the time. So mistakes happen, names get incorrectly used, or the story goes a weird way. Now, because of the, because of the rule of yes-and, there is no wrong, okay? So that's a gift from someone leaving their phone on for right now means we can talk about when things go wrong. That's fine. Someone left their phone on. We can deal with it. We acknowledge it. We move forward. And the same thing happens with improvisation. It means that we can move away from being perfect. And I think often what stops us writing is this fear of making a mistake, wanting our script to be perfect. And I think when you use improvisation to write, the joy of it is you just get something down on the page. Whether it's good or not, you can then, that's then the writer's job after that to then start redrafting. That's, you know, that's when the writing skill really comes into it. But in terms of improvisation, it guarantees you get something on the page, which I think, again, can be really useful when you are stuck on a script or you are sat at your computer alone at desk with no one to talk to about it. Trying to yes and those characters, move it forward and just get something down on the page, whether it's good or not. So what we're going to do now is just try and kind of show you a little bit of long form now. Um, so to do this, we're going to sort of follow a little story. So we're going to do a couple of scenes in, in a linear fashion as if it was a short film. And I would like to get some suggestions of you what type of film we're going to do. So first of all, can I have um, a genre? What genre do we want this film to be? Western. Western? Horror. <laughs> I like that it's just like a choral. Western. Horror. Horror. Western. Um, Horror, I think, is the most that you all piped up. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I had like three votes for horror. So we'll take horror. Um, what type of horror? Horror is obviously massive. Like, let's narrow it down. Like, is it like a you know, slasher horror or is it like. Romantic. Romantic horror. <laughs> Does exist. I've been to that film festival. I cried at Shaun of the Dead because I thought it was so scary. So I'm not very good with horror films. <laughs> Genuinely got down in my seat and, and cried till it was over. Zombies were really scary, guys. People didn't tell you. They said it was a comedy, and I think that's incorrect marketing. Um, <laughs> so what type of horror? Like, is it like... Um, religious. Oh, religious horror. Oh, nice, yeah. Okay, no, we've got... Well, religious horror is good, so kind of like... You mean like exorcist style -y. Okay, so like possession-type thing. Demons. That's good, that's good. Okay, what's the protagonist for our story? Who do we think the protagonist of this kind of religious horror is? The Pope. The Pope? <laughs> Pope is... Uh, could do the Pope. Any other suggestions? A butcher, a cat. A nun. Oh, oh, what was that? A skeptical nun. A skeptical nun. Whoa! I'm taking a skeptical nun because that was really good. Okay, so a skeptical nun. So what's the, what's the name? Give us a name. Sister what? Delilah. Sister Delilah. Delilah what? 
Sister Delilah Montgomery. Oh, that's, I'm already excited about The Skeptical Nun. Perhaps it's called The Skeptical Nun. We'll find out, we'll get the title later. So Sister Delilah Montgomery, religious horror. Um, and where do we want the first, like if we're writing this as a group, where's the first scene? What do we think? What should be our opening, opening scene? Prayer, confession. The garden of the church. The garden of the church. I like that because it's not too on the nose, is it? The garden of the church. It's quite creepy. Okay, the garden of the church. Is anyone else with her? No. God. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay. I'm already excited. If this film existed, I might, I might go and see this horror film. Okay, what we're going to do, we're going to do the opening scene. We're going to see if we like it, and then we might do it again, or we might go into the next scene. We're just going to write, loosely write a little story together as we go. So if things go wrong, we'll either accept them or we can rewrite them. That's the joy of improvisation. Working title, when we're pitching it, is The Skeptical Nun. Uh, Sister Delilah Montgomery, we open, I'm assuming, what, what, Misty, right? We want Misty? Yeah. Does anyone, or does anyone want to go controversial and make it sunny? No, come on. So it's like a misty, what, morning, night? Morning. morning. Oh, nice. Okay, so misty morning. The church is in the background. Graveyard, kind of Victorian graveyard I'm going to go for. And we see Sister Delilah Montgomery, who is on her own, but someone else is with her. <laughs> Let's see that scene. Good job, Delilah. <laughs> you needn't look so surprised. It's me, that voice that's always with you in the back of your head as you go through your daily rudiments in the church. God, for clarification. <laughs> Sometimes people think it's the devil and things get awkward and weird in the monastery. <laughs> How are you feeling, my child? I'm feeling peaceful. It always gives me peace to make the gravestones look a, a little bit more spruce. Mm. It's a small, strange job, but it gives me peace. I love what we've done with the diamante around the corner Thank of that Thank you. One. It's called a grave jazzle. <laughs> Delilah, I uh, want to pose a question to you. Though I be omniscient, uh, there's something I'd like you to consider. You ever sometimes thought that this voice percolating around the back of your head, me, this very voice, uh, sounds remarkably like your father and maybe a psychological construction rather than a deity you communicate with on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm loving it so far. I just feel like it's called The Skeptical Nun and they both seem pretty cool about the conversation. Um, so let's start that again. I, I loved it. I loved, I loved the setting. God was great. Um, but can, can we see it uh, with a little bit more nut nunning, a little mm. bit more scepticism? Let's, let's, because let's, I don't know, I didn't feel scared and I was scared it's Sean the Dead. So as we know, my tolerance is low. Um, so let's see a little bit more skeptical from the nun and God, I, let's have more God. I want this bigger, grander, you have a message for her, yeah? What do we think, what is God trying to tell her in the opening scene? She's gonna die. She's gonna die, yes! That's what we need. She's gonna die and God is gonna tell her that. So let's make it a bit more creepy. Delilah, Lila, Lila, Lila. Who is there? Who is there? It's God, 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 God. The, the Judeo-Christian God, incidentally. Do not fool with me. I, it is an early morning. I know that someone must be there. It is your last early morning. This grave you polish, Delilah, will be your own. Oh, I've got an idea. Maybe instead of he says that, maybe he says, like, clear the grave and it's her name on it. 
Let's, because I feel like God, I feel like God shouldn't like, that was a bit on the nose from God. <laughs> so yeah, let's go back. God, God says just like, move the leaves or something. Delilah, park the ivy upon the stone. <laughs> You missed mass again this morning. Sister. <laughs> Sister Martha, I am, I am sorry. I... Why are you weeping? What are the tears of Jesus? <laughs> not Jesus' tears, they are my tears. Why must everything be Jesus's and never mine? Because you're alone and you're married to Jesus. I don't want to be. You what? Say it again, Delilah. I don't want to be married to Jesus. I feel like it's too early for Delilah to be like, <laughs> pronouncing Jesus. So let's see the. I like Sister Martha a lot. Definitely in a horror film, you want a weird, scary Irish nun who, for no reason, has no sympathy for anyone. Um, so let's go back to but with the grave, and let's. You don't tell her, and you try and hide. You've just seen your name and your birth date and your death date. Sister. You missed mass again this morning. Sister Martha, I am sorry. I, I am trying Why are you harder. crying? There will be no tears here at St. Swithin's. I am. Uh, no reason. I, I, was, I was thinking about my mother again. Your mother didn't love you. <laughs> That's I know. why she left you here. And we looked after you, didn't we? Yes. You are always on hand with words of comfort, Sister Martha. Yes. Stand, sister. Remember, we'll always love you here. You'll always be here. This is your home. Forever. <laughs> and ever. Amen. Oh, <laughs> Lovely. That's the end of the beginning scene. Yeah, give it up. weird British religious horror, I love that there's already a weird lesbian subtext, because that <laughs> is pretty normal. So that's our first scene. We've got Sister Martha, Sister Delilah Montgomery. That's right, isn't it? Was it Montgomery? Montgomery? Yeah. Great. Great. Thanks, guys. I'm glad you're taking notes. Um, okay, so that's our, that was our opening scene. So uh, where, where should we go next? What's we want? So we want to move the character on. She's heard from God. She's sceptical. We know that because it's called the Sceptical Nun, but we don't quite know why she's sceptical yet. So where do we want to go next? Any thoughts? A confession booth. Oh, is she confessing? Yeah. 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 Why not? Yeah. It, can a nun? Nuns can do that, right? <laughs> not, not Catholic. Can nuns sin? Can nuns sin? Oh my God, that's the other. Chastity. That's the subtitle. So maybe she goes to confession. I know. I know. Okay. We need. She needs to have a friend. Sister Martha's not her friend, right? So there should be a, a priest that she confides in, shouldn't there? Um, what's his name? Father what? Father Christopher Walken! Yeah, let's try it, let's try it. Let's see if that gets, uh, <laughs> gets through. So she goes to her friend, he's a good friend of hers. She's told him before about her doubts. Something's troubling you. <laughs> I'm here, if you want to talk. I mean, I, I feel like it might be distracting, but I feel like, let's go with it. Let's keep going with Father Christopher Morgan. Father, you know I have told you before about, I have difficulty believing, but is it possible that something that you have absolutely no belief in can can haunt you when I was a boy <coughs> I used to believe and there was a wolf <laughs> go on <clears throat> outside of my home every day I was convinced a wolf was gonna bite me there was no evidence of this and yet on my 18th birthday, exactly that happened. <laughs> uh, 
I understand you exactly. The thing is, a lot of the things we believe are crazy. <laughs> the idea that Jesus died makes no sense. He was a god. Son of, son of God? Same thing. Same thing. <clears throat> it's hereditary. And yet, we choose to believe the book as the literal word of God, even though there's four different accounts. And it came true. The story of Jesus, it was predicted, it was prophesied, and it, and it came true. Even people who didn't believe that it was going to come true, it still happened. So even things that you have absolutely no faith in can still come to pass. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. <laughs> Crushing this. Father, I, I should not be here. It's cool, as long as no other guys come in. No. <laughs> In the, in the abbey, I should not be in the abbey. Only those true of faith should be in the abbey. Only you can know if you're true of faith or not. There is something bad here. What? Wait, is it a wolf? No. <laughs> not this time. This time it is not a wolf. It's... What I... could possibly have go bad here at St. Swithin's? Name for the patron saint of a curse. <laughs> Tell me again about the curse of St. Swithin's. If it rains on St. Swithin's Day, it will rain for 40 days. That would cause floods and countless deaths. I mean, I really want a much scarier curse than that. <laughs> I mean, it's a religious horror. We definitely not got the horror bit yet. I'm happy with the wolf story. And I think Father Christopher Walken, and I think sometimes, guys, you know, name the character after the actor you want to play. <laughs> like, aim high. Um, so let's make sure that the, the curse is, is much, much scarier and more religious horror. Tell me again about the curse of St. Swithin's. Well, the curse states, if anybody here at the Abbey was to truly question their faith and be found wanting, that death would cease to have any meaning. The dead would rise and consume. It would bring about Judgment Day. As referred to in the, the last book of the Bible, you know the one. Re Revelation? Revelation? Yeah, the, not the Phil Collins one. Yeah, Revelations. That's the, yeah. We've established that I don't read it very much, so. I'm quite well read. I was just testing you. Yes. Since the day I put this on, I swore that I would try. I was never sure, but I, I said I would try to believe it. And if I, if I don't, then what am I going to bring about? Judgment Day, I was, I didn't oh, mention. Oh yes, you were, you were <laughs> explicit. No, we're not sure what's going to I'm going to pause it there. Um, Okay, good. Nice guys, nice guys. Then we move on to the next scene. So, um, Father Christopher Walken has established for us that if someone is found wanting in their faith, that St. Swithin's, the dead will rise. Um, I'm happy with that. It's a horror film. I'm happy with that. And we definitely need some horror now, don't we? Some actual horror needs to happen, like actual scary things. So, what, what can we do to her that's going to be really, really scary? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> I love it, but it's not in our genre. Visited yeah. by the angel of death. Visited by the angel of death. Yes. Amazing. In the shape of a wolf. Well, the wolf thing, I, you know what? That's his motif. So I'm going to just park that over there because I feel like let's not let Christopher Walken drive our story too much. Um, so visited by the angel of death. Um, let's, should we revisit Misty Morning in the churchyard? Because uh, we've already established that location, guys, and you know how expensive locations are. So <laughs> let's just keep it in the same place. So she's visited by the angel of death. And I guess, I guess this is the moment that he wants to say you don't believe, right? And like he's, it's happening. Should we say it's happening? Should we just move? Yeah, I'm going to make that call. It's happening. Death and God knows she doesn't believe. And so judgment day is coming. So uh, she's in the misty uh, churchyard and the angel of death <laughs> visits her. What, what are you? I am 
the bringer of the netherhead. I am the bearer of the dawn blood. I am the harbinger of the inverted crucify. You laugh in the face of mortality. Yes, I laugh. I laugh at you because I do not believe in you. I never have, and I... Shh. Now do you believe? It cannot be. It cannot be. You have a thousand hands moving at once. How could this be? And he starts summoning the dead from their graves. I am making a Christopher tell you about a wolf? <laughs> yes. Have you ever noticed how hairy my hands are? <laughs> yes. That's right. There was doubt in your heart, wasn't there? Yes. There was doubt when I held you at night. I saw it when I bathed you. When I put the bubbles in. I saw did not care anymore. It was your hands, they were too hairy. Hold my hands. No, I don't. Stroke my hands. <sighs> Say the Lord's prayer as you stroke my hands. I mean, I don't know why Sister <laughs> making her do any of these things, but it is still scary. So Sister Delilah is trapped by Sister Martha. Father Christopher Walken, one of our great cameos, <coughs> is dead on the floor without even a dying line. <laughs> when we rewrite it, we should give him a speech. Um, but how, who, how is she going to get out of this? We're right to the end now. How is she going to get? How is she going to defeat Sister Martha? Will Kick she her in the heart. Huh? Kick her in the heart. <laughs> wow, Buffy fans in. Uh, any other ideas from Kick her in the heart, which I like? Jumps up. Strangle her with a bell rope. I think she should strangle with a bell rope by the instrument of her own torture. And I think we should hear God at this point. And I think we should see Delilah start to believe, but also understand that there's been some weird cult thing, which we don't need to explain. Um, so let's, she's, she's gonna have to try and kill Sister Martha with the bell rope, but she hears God and it gives her the strength to fight on. Very well. I'll do what you want. It's what you've always wanted, is it not? All I've wanted is you to love me as a mother. Yes. You've wanted me to be close to you. Yes. To accept you. For the daughter I was never allowed to have. To love you. They're moving a lot for people at the top of a bell tower. I hope they stay still. <laughs> it's a big bell tower. Wait, 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 wait. Behold you. It is I, God, God, God. Only you can hear me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The woman who clasps you is not of this earth. She is lupine. Yes, I, I know that. There are only two ways to kill a lupine woman. Kick her in the heart. Or, or follow the faith which has been in you all along. Not all are gifted with hearing this voice, Delilah. It is those who have true faith burning, burning as a gleaming carbuncle inside the depths of your heart. Follow your instincts, for they are God-given, and all shall be well, 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 well. 
I imagine at this point it's going to go really slow and weird in 1970s, and there'll be like a bell tower shot going like in and out, and then like an eagle and a wolf superimposed and stuff, and it'll be a really slow, weird death as Sister Martha sings very oddly. graveyard where she said, looks, peels back the ivy, and what is there? Still the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes! That is an awesome Give it up for your performance of your darling! Amazing! I've seen enough short films to know they, it would end with it's not being changed. Um, so that was a very, very quick, long-form improvisation. Um, you can see, basically, you know, there were lots of mistakes or things that didn't quite work, but just by allowing us to yes out, I hope you could see when they were yes-anding, they were just agreeing as characters. The characters agreed with each other. No one said, I'm not the angel of death, that doesn't make any sense. We just accept the world they're in. And we created a story. There was a small story there that, you know, definitely works as a first draft. <laughs> um, very amusing. And uh, yeah, that's what we're, we're really looking at today, is just trying to see if you can just get stuff down on paper, whether that is using people to collaboratively write, or just by yourself to just agree the characters can move something forward. So moving on to our final part of the session, uh, we are going to have a short Q&A with uh, amazing, where is he, there he is, uh, with writer and filmmaker and comedian Nick Helm, who did a BAFTA, been BAFTA nominated short film that was uh, improvised. Everyone welcome Nick Helm to the stage! <laughs> um, Nick. Hello. So, hi, hiya. <laughs> Hello. Hiya. So it was funded by the BBC, is that right? Yeah. Um, their funny Valentine's, or was it completely separate? No, no. Um, I lived in Brighton for a year in 2005, and uh, it was uh, it was the it was the shittest year in my entire life. <laughs> and uh, basically, the only thing that really got me through it was that I became friends with uh, a girl uh, who had a boyfriend, and uh, basically that didn't happen. But we were just like a platonic uh, we had a platonic friendship, and uh, and we didn't have any money. And we went around. We um, we just tried to find uh, cheap things to do in Brighton, basically, um, and then we became really good friends. And uh, and I always thought that that might be like the basis of a sitcom. And uh, so I pitched it as a sitcom to the BBC, and they said we haven't got any, uh, <laughs> got any room for a sitcom, Nick. Uh, but what we do have is you can make a ten-minute short film. And I was just like, well, uh, or you can make a, a sketch. You can do like a ten-minute, uh, like a like a ten-minute teaser or a pilot of it. And I said, is it going to be online? And then they said, it's going to be online. I said, if it's going to be online, then, then probably you know, not many people will see it. And if that's the case, can I direct it? And they said, yes. And then, that's how, and then, and then they funded it as part of a, a Valentine's Day season. It's a really mm. lovely short film. It really is mm. lovely. And it is on, you can still watch it on iPlayer. That's how I watched it. Um, so the film was, how, how much was improvised? Did you have a script or did you have a loose idea? So, um, yeah, so my pitch was that it would be When Harry Met Sally Meets the Trip. And it would be two people talking bollocks at each other, but it would just be sort of like a romantic thing. And then, uh, so what we did was we kind of like worked around. So, so my advice, if you're pitching something, is never tell anyone that you're going to do it as an improvised script. They do hate. They hate it. They hate it because the first thing they do is they think that what you're going to do is that you're going to basically get all your costumes ready, get all your crew, get all your cameras, get all your locations, and then you're just going to make it up in front of the cameras. And that's the first thing they think, and they're, they're, they're terrified of that. In actual fact, what the thing is that what we did when we did our one, we had, we had a month. We had a month to make it. We had between uh, the beginning of uh, January to the beginning of February, we had to deliver it the first week of February, right? including the edit and writing it and filming it and putting it all together. So, uh, so we didn't have long to do it. Um, so we spent, we spent a long time sort of like uh, trying to work out with the producers a, a way that we could all be happy to do it. And in the end, what we did was... Um, 
Uh, so me and Esther, who's the girl in there, um, uh, we basically sat down together and uh, we, was, we were forced to write in this writing room, which was completely useless, um, and we didn't get anything done, but what we would do is we'd go out for lunches, and then when we went out for lunch, we'd sort of like walk down the road and then something would happen to us, like uh, she'd nearly get run over uh, and I'd pull her out the way of a car, or uh, I think one time we went, out for, uh, we went out for a meal and we both ordered tea, and then the waiter brought over these two massive teapots and sort of, and we were just like, well, that's obviously too much tea for two people. And believe it or not, that is the best scene in the film. <laughs> it's a really good um, scene. And uh, so we basically just wrote down all these things that happened to us in our lunch break. And then um, <coughs> we wrote them down as kind of like a, re a really rough skeleton of a script. So uh, for instance, it'd be like a five point script. So it'd be kind of like uh, point one was they meet, uh, point two is they go for a walk. Point three is they sit down. Point four is they go for a bit more of a walk. And point five is they go to a cafe, right? Uh, and then maybe point six, they went for a little bit more of a walk. And then something happens where it's almost like something almost romantic happens. And then, you know, who knows, right? Uh, and so then with that skeleton script, what we did was me and Esther went out with our friend, um, Stuart Laws. Uh, and uh, he has a, his own camera. He's good to do. And he's cheap. <laughs> and uh, what he did was he followed us around for two and a half hours around Warren Street. So our thing is set in Brighton, and it was always going to be set in Brighton, and we wanted to make Brighton the third character in our film. And, uh, and what we did was we, put, we couldn't go down to Brighton with Stuart, so what we did was we were, we were writing near Warren Street, so at the end of the day, we went out with a camera, and for two and a half hours, me and Esther just sort of like, we walked around on that skeleton map, where we were kind of like, I was sat at a park bench, and she came over and said hello, and that was our thing, and then basically we improvised our weight, and we just talked utter shit at each other for about two and a half hours as we walked around. Right, and we walked around, and, we, and by chance we went past a cake shop, and that was something that had happened in the writing process. So we went in, and kind of like, and and we managed to tie in all of these things that we'd kind of like uh, thought about in in the in the writing process when we'd been trying to come up with ideas, like the teapot thing, uh, and her having cake on her face. These are things that all happened in our lunch breaks, and then when we did our skeleton plan in the two and a half hours, we went around, and we actually managed to recreate those things, and make stuff up. And then, so then what we did with that two and a half hours was we edited that down to a fifth, this is how we did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, we, we were like improvising, uh, but like uh, what we did was, so we edited that two and a half hours down to like a 15 minute version of the film, which was really rough. It, there were setups for jokes that never paid off. Uh, and it was kind of really loose around the edges. It looked really ugly. It didn't look like a nice film, but it was basically uh, the, from that skeleton script, we got a 15-minute film in two and a half hours. And so we went out, and rather than kind of like wait until filming day to see if it worked, we just went out and tested it. So we transcribed what that 15-minute film was, and then we rewrote it. And so when we rewrote it, what we did was we put in, we made it all nice and pretty. We made it into a lovely script. So all of the setups that didn't have punchlines, where we could say, do you know what, if we wrote that, that would fix it. And if we did a call back to that earlier bit and put that at the end, then we sort of like lined it up, we made it all beautiful. So when you read it, it was like this brilliant 15 minute, you know, 15 page script, right? So then what we did was then we, uh, we uh, what did we do after that? We, did, we wrote it, we fixed it, and then what we did was we went down to Brighton and we uh, filmed it. And what we did, the, the best thing that we did was we got an amazing uh, uh, director of photography. Uh, uh, we got uh, Laurie Rose, who did a field in oh, England, yeah, he's and he's amazing. just done... Um, the high he rise. Does all of ben it's, it's just, yeah, it's just yeah. on high rise. And, and Esther had worked with him on cockroaches, so he came in and did a, did a, did a favour for us. He was amazing, um, and that basically left me to direct me and Esther, and so we kind of like placed ourselves and kind of. Um, and then what we did was we filmed the script that we wrote based on the improv exactly. We filmed every single scene as it came, and we filmed that exactly. And once we'd got that filmed and it was in the can, right, that meant that we'd, we'd, we'd at least got a 15-page script, right? And then what we did was with each scene as we were doing it, we just threw the script out and we improvised around it, right? which meant that not only did we have what we'd already improvised and written down safe, like that lovely script that we'd made, but we also had loads of other stuff, like incidental, like that, uh, that scene in the, um, in the, is this useful? <laughs> right. So when we were in that, when we were in Snooper's that. Snooper's Paradise. Well, well, so interestingly, we, we looked like we're going into Snooper's Paradise, but we couldn't film in Snooper's oh. Paradise. So we're filming another junk shop that's across town. 
Um, but everyone just assumes it's Snoopy's Paradise, but you're not allowed to film in Snoopy's Paradise. Um, and so, uh, well, in, interestingly, um, the girl that it's based on lives next to the junkyard, and she's the one that suggested it. Oh. Uh, but I'm over that now, so it's fine. <laughs> right? uh, we're just friends, it's good. And uh, so, so, uh, so then what happened was, so, so when we were in that junkyard, that was the very first scene that we, that, that we filmed. We got there in the morning, it was overwhelming, there was loads of stuff. So what we did was we just kind of like, we mapped out a, a circuit of the thing. We had several things that we had to say to each other in that scene to sort of like set up our characters and all this stuff. Uh, and I think we always had the, like the David Bowie line in there. Uh, but, um, but just so happens there was a record section and that, that bit came up. Um, and then, so what we did was every time we saw anything, like she saw five spoons and she was talking about the five spoons, we improvised around the um, the, 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 the donkeys, the donkeys are sticking in the, the, the woman's face and then there was the legs and the mask. And as, as they occurred to us, we'd point stuff out along with the stuff that we'd scripted, right? So and we had loads of footage. I think that really shows in the film because there's a lovely naturalistic dialogue to it, but yeah. there is a structure to it. And that's another thing I would say with improvisation and film, having been asked to do lots of improv film projects, it, it's not cheating to have a structure. <laughs> you know, like you saw us do there, you can refine stuff. And I think if you just turn a camera on a film, you do end up with like a lot of stuff you can't use. So to ref film and refine, but, film and refine, but it's had you, had you had you filmed that improv, <laughs> no, but had you filmed that improv and then rather you know you could have transcribed that and then made it yeah. made it or you could have filmed it and then you could have sort of like edited that down to the greatest hits or you could have taken yeah. you know as you were stopping them you're like saying that's a good idea but me and Esther didn't stop we just kind of like it went in the writing process we stopped at each point and went do you know what we should actually spiral off on that idea and do something there and I have heard that's what they do for the thick of it as well the Armando Nucci would always have a script they would film the entire script and then they would do another improv take that, well that's what Mike Lee yeah. does as well well, yeah, they have they have a script. I mean, they improvise. I mean, it's all improv. I mean, it's it, the the script. I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous to think about filming something with all the people. Everybody needs to know. Essentially, it, one person can't make a film, right? So if you're the director, I was the director, but I was also in it, and I'd also co-written it. But I couldn't watch myself while I was filming it. So you've got to rely on everyone around you, and you know, you know. I think there's only someone like James Cameron that thinks he can do everyone's jobs for them, right? And then aside from that, you know, I'm not going to do Esther's make up for us so you've got to rely on you've got to rely on everyone around you to kind of like make the film and trust that part of part of directing is casting the right people to do their jobs really well and letting them do their work for them and relying on them right because and your job as a director is to keep everyone on the same page so that you're making the same film you know and if anyone's got any questions they come to you and you go no that's wrong we do it like this you know but it's not a dictatorship it's a collaboration and um uh, that's me on my high horse. <laughs> <laughs> so then what you do is once you've filmed the script, you've filmed all the improv, then what you do is when you get into the edit, which is how I did it, I was in the edit. So when I got into the edit, what we did was we edited together maybe like a half-hour version, and then we threw out half the script because the stuff that we improvised on the day was even better than what we'd had planned. And then we made a 10-minute film uh, which basically was like a supercut of like it was like fifty percent scripted, which was based on an improvised script, and it was fifty percent improvised on the day, and then it's kind of got a really loose feel to it. But every pro every step of the process was through improvisation. It's just that you know you've got like you know stop off points where you bank all of your improvisation and you make that good, and then you go to the next bit and then you make that good, and then the final stop off point is the edit where you crunch all of that improvisation into one bit, and then you've got an improvised film. And it's still improvised, you know? It's not cheating. <laughs> it's not cheating! It's definitely not cheating. Is there any other, is there any questions? Just because I, I know you guys have got, uh, yeah. I want to know when you were, you know when you filmed the, like the, the script that was based on the improvisation before? The, what, the, the original improv film, the 15 minute film that we made originally? Um, yeah. Yeah. And then afterwards you did filming, you improvised and you filmed, right? Mm -hmm. When you film normally, um, they'll, have it on, they'll have the camera on you and then they'll do a different angle on her yeah. over your shoulder or something or they'll do a two shot and stuff like that. When you improvised, if you couldn't remember exactly what you said or exactly what you did, how did you guys work around that? We just, um, like, so what you're saying is when we changed angles, yeah. how did we do it what, on the very first thing that we did? Um, oh, oh, you mean like when you're improvising? Yeah. 
when you had finished filming film. everything and you had the thing and then oh, you, you just you just remember it because you're not because you're not um, because when I say you're improvising, you're not going in there and saying we're going to completely change the scenario that we've already created, right? So what you've done is you've gone, we're going to have a conversation about two pots of tea, right? And you've scripted, you've improvised that, you've scripted that, and you've filmed that, right? And then you go, we've got that, and now we're going to talk about loads of different versions of this tea scenario, right? So what you'd do is you'd film it in a two shot so there's both of you that you've got that you can always cut away to yeah. and you do that like three or four times then it's in your head and then you do sort of like a, a close-up of me and a close-up of her and you do that several times and then when you're in the edit you just take the best bits that make the most sense with each other and you do it. I mean, has anyone seen that film? Four of you. Oh God, what am I doing in my life? No, it's, it's so right. There's a few of you. There's a bit in a. There's a bit in a tea. Uh, there's a bit in the tea. And if you if you get a chance to watch it, there's a whole bit when she's singing uh, the Toto song Africa, and we uh, filmed the whole thing several times, but we only had time for half the song. And if you watch in the foreground when you're watching it, I'm dancing, and that's because halfway through the uh, halfway through that scene, I started playing keyboard, but that, we didn't need any of that, so we just cut it. And, uh, and that's, that's the thing is, you, you don't notice little mistakes like that, but you just make a supercut where everything seems to make sense of the footage you've got. And it's kind of, it's almost like you, it's almost like that game where you're pulling out, you know, the, the scripted lines and you're trying to make something make sense of it. And you're doing it in the edit, but you've got so much footage by that point. You know, you're doing it five times as a two shot, ten times on her, ten times on me, and then you've got sort of like, and that's not, you know, that's sort of like a medium shot, and then you do the close-ups, and you've got so much to work with by the time you get in there. But, you know, it, 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 we're not working with film anymore, it's digital, so it's kind of like, you can kind of like use as much. And, and, and all you've got is a budget and how much you can afford the crew for. But when you're testing out, you can do it on your phone. Do you know what I mean? You can do it on your phone. And you've got, you, you can either film it yourself or, you know, uh, I think Rob Brydon and uh, Julia Davis, when they did Human Remains, they just they set up a camcorder yeah. and they, filmed, they just filmed themselves improvising and they made all of their scripts from that. And that was a six-part TV series, so, you know. Uh, any other questions? It said one down here. Yeah, this lady here at the front. Hiya. Um, how do you guard against self-indulgence? Because what's funny to you and Esther might be funny on screen, but it might just be funny between the two of you. So how do you know? Um, I hate myself. <laughs> so um, uh, so uh, the thing is... Uh, no, no, you're right. And, 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 and you know, um, uh, I think, especially considering I was right and directing and being in it, and you just think how much of this is, you know... Um, egotistical, you know, drivel. But um, I think uh, my rule of thumb when we were doing it, I mean, if you watch the film, most of the shots are of her, or it's of, um, you know, I, I always said, when in doubt, cut to Esther. And, uh, and so I think for a start, from my point of view, is that. Uh, but also, I think ego is good in this case, right? Because um, ego can work two ways. Ego can be, I'm so wonderful, let's put all of me in it. Or ego can be, oh my God, I was terrible in that scene. I never want anyone to see that ever again. Let's only put the good stuff in, right? And that's how I worked. I was just like, well, that was a terrible take. Get rid of that. Let's burn that, <coughs> right? And then it's just like, well, and then when you're left with only the good stuff, you go, well, let's make a film out of the good stuff, right? And so I think that, um, you know, some, some people are, are ego mad and some people want to tell a story. And I think we're all here because we feel there's something in us that's worth sharing, Right? Otherwise, why, why are we here? Right? And so the ego does have a bit to play in it, but I think if you, if you come at it, if you try and get rid of your ego as much as possible and try and tell a story and, and get yourself out of the way of it, and also, the best story you can tell makes you look good. So it is like a balance between, you know, trying to make yourself look good by putting all the good stuff in and look, making yourself look awful by just being a complete egomaniac. Oh, so that's the joy of collaboration, I'd say, is that you have a good editor Absolutely. and you have a good DP. So you, you d And you don't, like, Nick didn't put the two-hour version on. Like, that's how you avoid self-indulgence, well, is you edit it down. Interestingly enough, the first cut was half an hour, and I just think... And we kept taking stuff out, and it just happened to be, like... It was meant to be around 10 minutes, and it, and the, it happened to be, like, 9 minutes, like, uh, 14 seconds or something like that. And I think that that is the... I think that's the best cut it would be. I think if you started adding footage back in, it would start deteriorating in quality, and if you started taking more footage out, it would start deteriorating quality. And I just think that it was... Ex I think we left it when we were finished, and it happened to run to time. We had a 15-minute... We had a 15-page script, half-hour first cut, and it ended up being nine minutes, nine and a bit minutes long. 
Okay, one last question. There was oh, there was one over here that, oh, yeah, this lady was very, I had her heart for her. Um, hi, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you're, you acted in it, but also you were directing. But um, what kind of challenges did that bring about? Because actually I, I quite like acting, but I also really love directing, so. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, um, <laughs> see, I'm terrible at auditions, right? So I always wanted to act. <coughs> I always wanted to be a performer and act, and, but I'm absolutely terrible at auditions. So I became a writer so that I could write stuff for myself. Uh, and then, uh, and then through that, I became a stand-up comedian. And when you're a stand-up comedian and you go on stage, I mean, most of us are stand-up comedians up here, as well as um, uh, you end up like writing and directing and doing everything yourself anyway. So you feel pretty comfortable with what you're doing. And I think directing yourself is actually fairly straightforward because you're directing yourself all the time. And then all you need to do is kind of like, I mean, you would sort of like look at shots to establish them and go, you know, I want, I want this, I want to be this much in shot. And then you'd check up, but our schedule was so tight, so you trust people. Or oh, how do you wear multiple hats? The writing side of it is out, because you've written it. And then you become the performer, and when you're the performer and the director, you're kind of making sure that everyone knows what they're doing. It's, do you know what? It sounds terrifying, I think, but... It's actually relatively straightforward. I think it's actually relatively straightforward. It's just common sense, really. And what you're doing is, um, it, it probably is slightly different from kind of like looking at it from a 100% uh, uh, filmic point of view where you're kind of like making something that's completely, um, uh, well, the way I did it, it was more like documentary film, right? So basically, my sense of direction was that I want it to look like a documentary. I want it to look very sort of like magical and beautiful. Uh, this is the lighting style that I want. Uh, let's get Laurie Rose to do it. So we got him to do it, and he's amazing at doing all of that stuff. And then you have a conversation with the cinematographer about what you want him to do and how he does it. And he's amazing because he can do anything. And he goes, right, I completely understand what you want. So he goes off and does that. And then as a director, what you're doing is it's almost like a theatre direction because you're directing two people in the real world. And then she'll, you know, you'll say something that's great and then you'll go, let's do that again. And she'll say something that's amazing. You go, let's build on that. And then you'll kind of like put it together like that. And then meanwhile, Laurie is like a spider monkey. He's kind of like moving everywhere, filming everything from every angle. And then when you get home, you go, oh, we made Dancing with Wolves, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's brilliant, you know. I'm sure Nick will be around here if you have any more questions or indeed for any of the other improvisers. Please give Nick a massive round of applause for having us today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Cariad Lloyd and Nick Helm. That's it from Guru Live 2016. Make sure you check out the two other live shows in this short series by subscribing to us on iTunes or another podcast app. Just search for BAFTA Guru. You'll also find hours of interviews and advice on how to get ahead in your film, TV or games career, or maybe branch out into a new discipline. My name is Rihanna Dillon. Thanks to event programmers Cariad Lloyd and Katie Campbell, and to the producer of this podcast, Matt Hill. Until next time, goodbye! The Guru. 